Welcome to Chatting with Authors podcast. I'm Will Zeilinger. And I'm Janet Lynn. Each of our programs feature an interview with authors from a variety of genres. We hope you'll learn a little about them, their writing life, and more. Here we go. Elizabeth Crowns has two award-winning alternate history novels, Silent Meridian and A Pocket Full of Lodestones from the Time Traveler Professor series. She also writes in the Hollywood mystery suspense genre and tends to inject her work with a little bit of dark humor. Her short stories appear in the Hell's Heart anthology, as well as the Bram Stoker Award-nominated anthology, A New York State of Fright. Her latest book, A War in Too Many Worlds, was released in August of this year. Elizabeth has worked in the Hollywood entertainment industry for over 30 years and holds a black belt in martial arts. She's bi-coastal between Los Angeles and New York City. Hello, Elizabeth. Hi, Liz. <laughs> well, you got a black belt. How long, when did that happen? Well, that was a long time ago. <laughs> you still practice? Uh, no. Uh, the style that I um, practiced in is not being taught in New York City. And uh, frankly, um, it's it's a little obscure. So no. Um, and I was, um, believe it or not, you, uh, doing another style for a little while, but our dojo broke up. Mm-hmm. So I'm just trying to stay fit. <laughs> oh, that's good. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Now you write in more than one genre. How hard is that? Uh, you know what? It's, you have to learn the craft expectations for each genre. So when I switched from the science fiction fantasy, which is uh, technically the um, major umbrella that alternate history falls into, uh, to the mystery genre, I had to learn what publishers expect you know, of mis- and, and readers expect of a mystery, sh- of the mystery genre. So it was a learning process. Well, those, your two books, The Pocketful of Lodestones and Silent Meridian, look very interesting. They take place in the early part of the century, correct? Yes, yes. Uh, they do involve time travel. So they do go to other eras, basically. But um, they, uh, the first book, uh, Silent Meridian, starts in 1898. And mm. 1914, which is the very beginning of World War One, and the second book, uh, Lodestones, uh, picks up in 1914 and ends in 1917. The third one uh, picks up in 1917 and ends in 1922. So, and wow. then after that. Um, wow. So, when you switch between the two, uh, was it hard? Uh not really, but um, a lot of times when I'm working on one, I'll get ideas for another. So I just, I keep a ton of file cards and I'll write like little notes and say, you know, for next time travel, you know, uh, book, this is going to happen or this is an idea. Obviously, I don't want to get it mixed up with uh, 1940s Hollywood mm-hmm. history. <laughs> yeah, <right>. <laughs> <laughs> Was there a reason you picked that particular uh, era in time? Uh, you know what? I was always fa- uh, fascinated by the Victorian era. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I um, uh, started researching it, um, 
I really became fascinated about Arthur Conan Doyle because everybody knows him as the author of Sherlock Holmes, but a lot of people don't know other things about him. And the more I read about him, the more intrigued, he was really into paranormal stuff mm -hmm. and uh, very much into seances and spiritualism. And I had always been fascinated by uh, the different esoteric movements of the late 19th century, early 20th century. And all of a sudden I'm reading that he's a member of a real society called the Ghost Club. And uh, seriously, he was like uh, an original Victoria and a uh, ghost hunter. And he also wrote a lot of really fabulous ghost stories that most people don't know about. So Amazing, the more, yeah. yeah, the more I read, the more fascinating it became. And I just kind of dived headfirst into it. Mm -hmm. well, well, then why did you switch to mysteries? Um, because I had other ideas that I wanted to develop and uh, they're different time periods. And of course there, there obviously is a mystery element though in the alternate history because you can't separate Arthur Conan Doyle from mystery. No, so, you can't. Yeah. They're hard. They're not, you know, standard hardcore mysteries, you know, where you find the dead body on the first page or the typical, you know, Agatha Christie, you know, locked room mystery, but they definitely have mystery elements in them. Mm -hmm. So because your books are they're rather unusual from what I've been reading about them, um, do you find it a challenge to develop your visibility and your author platform to get new readers to, to read your interesting books? <laughs> yeah. uh, I do, uh, because um, I do network uh, in several circles. I used to, before the pandemic, attend a lot of conventions. And mm -hmm. I would attend uh, both mystery convention, mystery thriller conventions, as well as um, science fiction fantasy conventions, and a lot of Sherlockian uh, type of conventions. Mm -hmm. And I find that the Sherlock Holmes crowds um, tend to, they, they tend to be my best fans. Uh, because they obviously are interested in Arthur Conan Doyle, who is one of the major characters. They tend to love Victorian settings in their stories, and many are incredibly knowledgeable. Uh, in fact, I, many of these people are go-to people. I've got friends, uh, retired pathologists, uh, who I contact all of a sudden if I need uh, to describe a Victorian autopsy. You know, they are. They will be able to tell me in great detail what I need to know. So, uh -huh. um, you know, or at least do some fact checking. So I find that um, a lot of my fan base tends to come from there. And yet um, there is crossover and then other times there isn't. So, you know, a lot of times I could be talking to a person who's into high stakes thrillers. And as soon as I mention uh time travel <laughs> it's like what <laughs> yeah, walk away <laughs> yeah. so, it's like the venn diagram <laughs> you do yeah. a crossover <laughs> yeah so this just for my own and for some of the above our viewers uh information would you classify the the era your books take place or is it different than what people used to refer to as steampunk it is um 
The first one um, does have some steampunk elements. Uh, and I, I do categorize Silent Meridian um, as a gaslight fantasy. Okay. That particular um, uh, way, except when you start getting, uh, I do follow a timeline. And it does go along the lines of the history of uh, Arthur Conan Doyle and a few other people, including H.G. Wells and Harry Houdini. And once you start getting away from the gaslight era and into like World War II, it's not really steampunk anymore. So, uh, you know, I did uh, have quite a, a steampunk following to begin with, but I don't really label it as steampunk particularly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I would think that would be kind of a niche thing, and yours, and yours has got a more broad appeal. It, yeah, I mean, you know, steampunk also gets into, you know, almost a, I don't want to say sword and sorcery, but certainly, you know, the explorer on the Zeppelin, and yes, they get into time travel, but there's a lot of steampunk that my particular book doesn't cover at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have to say, I love your covers. They're really cool. Did you design them yourself? Yeah. Oh my goodness. <laughs> They're really nice. I like them. Thank you. Uh, the original cover, when uh, Silent Meridian came out, it was with a different publisher. And I actually did have some input with that, but it was a totally different cover. Um, when I switched publishers um, with the second book and republished the, uh, the first one, um, I like the covers better only because I think they follow the timeline better. I was worried with the first book that the protagonist aged as the series went along. And it's like, oh, how are we going to find, you know, a person that's going to work, you know, as they age. And I like, um, I featured the person uh, from the rear kind of running towards a tunnel. Mm-hmm. So you don't really get to see his face, which is nice. So that works as he ages. You don't have to worry about finding another person to take a photograph. <laughs> <laughs> now, during the pandemic, did that affect your writing at all? It did. Um, at at very, uh, I am in a New York City apartment that I have long outgrown. So I was climbing the walls because I literally couldn't leave this place for about three months. And New York is one of those places where literally, if you go out on the street, you can't walk 30 feet without running into somebody. And there were constantly people drinking their coffee, smoking their cigarette, on the street, not wearing masks. And this Mm -hmm. is before anybody had a vaccine. And I just, I did not, as soon as I left California, I literally was on lockdown for like three and a half months before Mm -hmm. I like snuck out to go to the bank, you know, and, uh, you know, and, and and the drugstore. I mean, I was ordering everything in. So during that period of time, I went through like an obsessive cleaning mode. Like, what can I get rid of? What can I reorganize? You know, finding things in my library, doing inventory. I went through this obsessive phase. And then finally, it actually became fairly productive because I was not traveling to about six or eight conventions a year. And I got to finish the book that's uh, that um, uh, the third book of the time travel series 
And I got to start the new one uh, that I just finished. I'm querying for a new agent, and it's a 19 Holly, um, 1940s Hollywood mystery. So uh, I was a little worried because I really wanted to make a trip to Los Angeles and go to some of the libraries, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the Motion Picture Library, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Beverly Boulevard in La Cienega. Um, I knew uh, that there were uh, places that I needed to go for research. And I just had to get creative because all these places were closed and very little was online. Even the, the downtown New York, I'm um, not New York, LA Public Library. And I actually wrote a scene in the library and mm-hmm. I'm testing my memory, you know, as my characters going in and out of the library to do their research on something. Mm-hmm. So uh, the good news is, is I did live in LA for a while and I have a really good memory when it comes to visuals. So, mm-hmm. um, and then if I had an issue, I just like reached out and asked people, you know, mm-hmm. like, is this correct? <laughs> I can't drive over there right now. I'm stuck in New York. I'm quarantined. <laughs> yeah, that's good. We do a lot of, we write 1952 and it's, you need to do the research to make it real. And I can't imagine what you went through trying, because you want to make it real. What yeah, absolutely. Saying. Absolutely. Uh, but during the during the pandemic, uh, because this uh, one particular Hollywood mystery took place in 1940, I watched a lot of Turner Classic movies. <laughs> <laughs> so it really helped. I mean, it seriously helped. I was going to have to watch these anyway, because I have a lot of famous actors that are characters. For some reason, I can't seem to get away from famous people making cameos, you know, or or being major characters, you know, in my book. So I managed to watch a lot of um, movies with, you know, not only pick up biographies and stuff like that and read them, but watch their mannerisms and their way of speech. And when I hired a freelance editor, because I won't even send anything out, you know, without having a professional, you know, go through it. She said, I nailed the characters. So, um, you know, but I mean, I really like watched movie after movie, movie <laughs> in particular, just to watch the mannerisms. And, you know, I know I'm watching something that's from a screenplay, obviously, and a very period screenplay. But I took it kind of one step from there and just got a really good feeling as to how these people would talk in a particular situation and uh, so I watched a lot of movies during the pandemic <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's how we go sorry with 50s just trying to get the lingo you know how, how they spoke and what they did I found that with m- m- my writing during the pandemic it seemed to get a lot darker a lot faster than before yeah. uh, it was interesting how my style changed a little bit during the pandemic bizarre was that the um and i know you asked me to bring a copy oh oops, here we go i gotta make sure it doesn't uh, go out with the green screen okay yeah, here we go oh, worlds um it took place uh it started at the end of 1917 well what happened in january 1918 the spanish flu pandemic oh my <laughs> You know, the timing, uh, you know, I, I took some of my emotional angst of what I was going through 
and then did research as to how the people reacted back then. And I just kind of touched on it. I didn't want to get like too heavy handed. Mm -hmm. I did mention it, obviously, you know, and people were concerned that people were getting sick and they weren't exactly sure why and how, but they did have to take precautions for a while. So I kind of, you know, you know, did not quote unquote write a pandemic apocalyptic book, Mm -hmm. but uh, I did, you know, obviously translate some of the emotions that I was going through, you know, into my characters, you Mm -hmm. know, and just kept it really like light, you know, like, yes, this happened. It's all documented in history. Let's move on. (laughs) I think a lot of people feel that way. A lot. So you're uh, you're going to be moving into the into a, a more modern era now. Is that the direction you're writing is heading? I uh, well, 1940s <laughs> as opposed to Victorian. Yes. So um, I have another mystery series uh, that I'm pitching. Um, still looking for a new agent, but um, that one takes place in the 80s and 90s, and it is also. Um, very different, but it is a Hollywood-based type of series. So um, I, for some reason, I can't seem to get away from the historicals. So, well, When we're re- researching our books that are set in the 50s, we love exploring around old Hollywood and old Los Angeles. Yeah, that was it's just, Oh, yeah. You know, it's, like, it's like peeling an onion. You know, there's just so many things yeah. that you find out. We went to the uh, Hollywood branch of the L.A. Public Library. That was amazing. And, and really? Was oh, wow. Yeah. yeah, and but we said we don't want to learn about all the, you know, we want to know, learn about Hollywood, not about all the movie stuff. We want to know about Hollywood, the town at the time. And you know, like, like the small little neighborhood paper kind of a thing. And yeah. it was very interesting. They were very helpful. Yeah. Oh, no, it's great. It's, it's really quite amazing what kind of archives you'll find in some mm-hmm. of the historical societies and... Uh, you know, things like that. Um, you know, it's, it's not, and unfortunately here stuck in New York, you know, I, I, it's, I can't find that stuff at the New York public library. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I really am looking forward to my next trip out and, uh, you know, be able to access some of the stuff that, as I said, a lot of these libraries were closed and they're just yeah. starting to open up now. Yeah. Our, our local branches here in Long Beach is closed too. Still, still really? closed. So we'll see what happens. Now, something happened to you that I think all of us, everyone, has a real concern might happen to them. Your Facebook got <laughs> yeah, and uh, what you've been going through with all your social media uh, platforms. Oh my God! Uh, yes, um, I had an identity theft situation with a hacker. Um, basically, deleted my. Facebook profile and hijacked my author page. And uh, I placed a uh, unauthorized advertisement, uh, something completely unrelated to anything I would promote. And, uh, and probably with a um, a suspicious URL. Um, I suspect they were either phishing the P, you know, that P P H I S H, you know, for more Mm -hmm or uh, possibly planning mal- malware. And I went through absolute hell and high water for over three and a half weeks um, trying to, well, I could reclaim, unfortunately. I think they deleted my original profile. 
So I had over 3,700 people in the um, publishing industry. Uh, I lost everything. So I'm starting from scratch, sending out legitimate uh, friend requests to people. And the, uh, the author page, what was really surprising is I was trying to reach out to people I knew and say, hey, do you mind uh, logging into your Facebook account and uh, reporting this as a fake page? You know, and maybe if we get enough people, you know, blowing the horn at, uh, you know, Facebook that they'll turn around and do something. And in asking people to do this on a few message boards for um, different organizations, because I belong to quite a few organizations, uh, that I belong to, I was shocked to find out how many other people had the same problem. You know, and including some, I won't name names, but some best-selling authors that actually had virtual stalkers, like harassing them uh, on the author pages. I mean, it was absolutely horrendous. So I finally, like literally just a few days ago, uh, got Facebook to take down the um, the fake page. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm still doing damage control, but I had to oh make uh, you should see the look on the rookie cops faces when I walked into an, my local NYPD precinct and said, "Guess what? The mystery writer is a victim of a crime." To uh, file police reports, uh, reports of identity theft with the FTC, the FBI has a cybercrime site. I mean, I was reaching out to everybody and changing passwords, changing logins, having two. What I would definitely suggest going forward for anybody is two factor identification and don't use phone apps for uh, like Facebook. Uh, even though it's easy, it, it's quick and easy, log in and come up with a horrible password that nobody can remember. <laughs> yeah. Do it yourself. You probably have to use a password manager or write it down somewhere. But uh, I just, I, 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 it was a very, it was a harrowing experience uh, that took literally all, the whole month of June when I should have been trying to query bloggers and reviewers for a book that's coming, you know, coming out. Yeah. And in the meantime, I, who had time, yeah. you know, I had to deal with all this. So it's, it was a horrible experience. It sounds like uh, we may be seeing another interesting type of story coming out from you. Yeah. Uh, hey, if I could write a best-selling thriller, um, <laughs> you know, uh, I'm thinking of the title of being hacked, the invisible yeah. enemy, you know, mm-hmm. the truth was invisible. Uh, you really know who was hacking you. And uh, I, I spoke with a computer expert friend of mine who was helping me get through the situation. And he said that it might not even be a person. It might be a software program or AI that you're yeah, it could be. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's got kind of a, a science fiction element. I had, I'm a member of the Horror Writers Association. Somebody said, I see this as a horror story. <laughs> I kind of saw it more as a thriller, but, you know, who knows? Uh, you know, once I feel, I guess, comfortably distanced from it, uh, I will try to write something about it, even if it's a short story or a novella. But I'm definitely, you know, 
it definitely felt like there was a ticking clock going on. Definitely. So. Now, is everything taken care of or you still have a ways to go? I hope so. Um, mm -hmm. I'm still trying to tie up a few loose ends. Um, won't go into the details on that. But, uh, and at this point, um, you know, I'm doing, I'm rebuilding my fan base, obviously, on Facebook. Uh, mm -hmm. I got very busy on Twitter in the meantime. So I actually built up my Twitter follow followers. <laughs> Good. Good. Of this, um, I have a caption contest that is very popular. Unfortunately, it is not as popular on Twitter as it was on Facebook. Mm -hmm. I enjoy it. I enjoy <laughs> it too. I love, I love it. <laughs> and I was working on a um, picture book uh, that was kind of, using my own, own photos, because I used to be a photographer in Hollywood, and uh, I kind of had to put that on hold, you know, while this was all going down. So hopefully I can bounce back soon, and, uh, you know, once I start traveling again and attending conventions, there will be people who will probably go up to me and say, was that a real friend request you sent? <laughs> yeah. I'm sure. Yeah. Like I say, my hat's off to you for figuring it out and getting through it as well as you did. Okay. I've heard so many war stories that, that they're still working on it years later. Oh, so yeah. I congratulate you for getting as far as you did so quickly. Oh, God. Well, you know what? Uh, writing detective stories, um, especially this, um, this last one, the 1940s, my protagonist is a private investigator. So you even though I've never personally been a private investigator, you do learn some of those skills. Yeah. <laughs> characters. So, uh, mm -hmm. you know, the, the NYPD was pretty impressed how resourceful I was when I, you know, finally made my police report. Not that they're going to be able to find this guy and put him in, ha in handcuffs, but, uh, you know, at least, uh, you know, it looked like I was covering on a necessary basis. So, well, good. So outside of your real life, what else inspires you in your writing? Oh, gee. Uh, well, I always loved movies. And I worked in the movie business for a really long time. So mm -hmm. um, that obviously inspired my two series that I'm writing, uh, The Hollywood Mysteries. And um, I worked in... Uh, both, um, I guess, yeah, no, not so much, well, a little bit of development, but mostly production and some um, uh, distribution and publicity in the, uh, the movie business. So a lot of those experiences have helped as far as um, my, uh, my writing is concerned. I don't know, when you work in the movie business, though, it's, it's such a time-consuming job that it's hard to separate, quote-unquote, hobbies <laughs> you know you're kind of living it <laughs> so uh, you know but I, I and and believe it or not when I was actually working um full-time in production I had very little time to read so um I'm enjoying having a little more time to read these days but it's still a 24 7 yes it is and writing I, is people think it's so simple and so easy and so fast it's not at all. And I made more money when I worked in the film industry. Too. <laughs> That's true. So on a lighter note, I'm going to ask you a question I ask all of my authors. Do you snack when you write? 
no. <laughs> drink a lot of coffee. <laughs> a lot of coffee? Okay. And what about music? Do you listen to music when you write? Sometimes. Uh, I do it. Well, I am one of those writers that's both a plotter and a pantser. When mm. I'm plotting, no. Uh, that's very right-brained. Um, I am putting together a jigsaw puzzle. Uh, and my plots, I don't know why, they are incredibly complicated. And even um, as a kid, I used to do crafts and sewing. And all my projects, art projects, were incredibly complicated. Mm -hmm. If I had a, a teacher that would say, um, I want you to um, do a landscape. And it, it could be, you know, 18 by 24 or smaller, you know, oil painting. Uh, this was an art class that I took when I was uh, in my junior year of high school. Me, I hand stretched a four by six foot canvas and I did a cityscape of New York City before I'd ever been there. Uh, and this was my impression of what New York City was like. And I did an oil painting with photo collage from old life magazines uh, that I have managed. My, mo my mother would not give it up for years. But when she finally passed away, I told my sister, I am taking back my painting. I want <laughs> And my poor little tiny apartment, I managed to find room to put it on the wall. But, um, I, you know, I was the kid that always went above and beyond. And I think it... Um, it goes with my uh, plotting as well. So when I am, I always get into these very complicated, twisted plots. And of course, the fact that all of them are historical means there's always extra research and fact checking. So um, when I'm in that right brain mode, I tend not to listen to music. When I am in the pantsing mode, and I'm just kind of letting things flow. And many times it might be the middle of the night and I got a glass of wine with me. I will play music. That's great. Wonderful, yeah. Liz. Well, thank you, Liz. Unfortunately, it's time to go and we could talk so much longer. So I want to thank you again for being on our show. I really appreciate this. Thanks for listening to the Chatting with Authors podcast. To learn more about Janet Elizabeth Lynn and Will Zeilinger, go to themarriedauthors.blogspot.com. Tune in next time to hear more Chatting with Authors.